Hello there, you're very welcome to episode 26 of the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. My name is Jamie Moore, busy hour or so coming up for you. We're going to be joined in just a second by St. Pat's new striker and a man who has massive experience over six years at Liverpool, Glenn McCauley. He'll talk working under Stephen Gerrard, who's now of course the Rangers manager, Jurgen Klopp, Brendan Rodgers and training with the likes of Luis Suarez and Sadio Mane and more. That's coming up in just a second's time. Our European focus will be joined by Dundalk. First team coach John Gill. I sat down with Killer at Richmond Park after his team beat St. Pat's 1-0 on Saturday. They're now in Baku and Azerbaijan and two of their star players almost got arrested more on that in a second Shamrock Rovers also had the way to Cyprus for their Europa League second qualifying round they're 2-1 up from the first leg one of their goal scorers Roberto Lopez and the head coach Stephen Bradley will be here to talk about their game against Apollon Limassol and then our focus will move to the FAI after the AGM on Saturday in which Donald Conway was re-elected as president for another year he'll tell us what value he'll bring to that role and the new vice president as well Paul Cook will give his first interview that's all coming up we'll begin though with Glenn McCauley the best League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. Now I'm very happy to welcome St. Pat's new striker Glenn McCauley to the show. And Glenn is of course former Liverpool player, signed there as a 13-year-old and spent a number of years with LFC and uh, played with some of the best players in the world and worked with Brendan Rodgers, Jurgen Klopp, Stephen Gerrard and so on and is now back and uh, hoping to make his debut for St. Pat's this weekend. Glenn, how are you? Welcome back to Dublin first of all. How's things? I'm good, thanks very much. Just looking forward to getting started with St. Patrick's and hopefully my clearance comes through to play on Friday. So looking forward to that. So talk to us about the move and the reason why you're home because I mentioned there you were at Liverpool for, for a long time and you're still only 19 so a, long, you know, a lot more football to go but why are you home? Uh, well I was over there since I was 13 so it was a long six years over there and I was enjoying it but then when I came back from this summer I just wasn't ready to go back to England so I said to myself I'm better off going to Ireland playing some men's football getting my head back together and getting back being happy playing football so that's why I made the move back here. How's your first couple of weeks home been and you've had some training with St Pat's as well and you're hopeful to be involved this weekend? Yeah, um, hopefully, fingers crossed I can play this weekend and the first, I've trained three times and all the lads have been great with me, I really appreciate the way they've welcomed me in and the training with Harry and Jer has been very good so I'm happy at the moment and looking forward to pushing on and getting playing games with them. Yeah, myself and Glenn are chatting on Tuesday afternoon, so you're home for the summer and you've done kind of five or six summers away from Liverpool and always gone back. Why was it different this time? It, just, it was a different feeling. I think because I wasn't going back to Liverpool as well, I've always had a routine for the six years and coming home not knowing what I was doing, I just, in my head I wasn't ready to go back to England just yet. So I wanted to move home, be closer to my family and friends and get back playing and enjoying men's football. Yeah, because... The club and every club does this at the end of the previous season. They announce who's been retained and who hasn't got a new contract. And you would have probably been at the end of your second or maybe even your third contract at the time. So, you know, when you're told that you're not being renewed and you've been there for so long, what's the kind of immediate feelings then? Well, it was sort of a mutual decision between me and the club. I've knew for the past year, year and a half that I've not wanted to be there because I wasn't happy. I wasn't playing as much as I'd like to be. So I was ready to leave and... Now I just want to progress, play men's football and push on my game and hopefully score goals in the League of Ireland and help Pats get European football. Yeah, we'll talk more about your time in Liverpool in a second, but I was just having a look at you as a schoolboy player and you moved to the UK when you were 13 from St. Joseph's Boys and some of the, the teammates you would have had in that team, Andy Lyons, who's now playing for Bohemians, Aaron Bulger, who's just moved to Cardiff from Shamrock Rovers, Brandon Cavanagh at Shamrock Rovers, Johnny Afalabi, I think is he looking for a club currently? Yeah, uh, Ryan Burks. At Birmingham, as is Joe Redmond and Tom Murphy, the goalkeeper signed for Everton and is now back playing for UCD, made his debut uh, last weekend as well. 
top of some schoolboy teams be playing in that and you know eight or nine of the players doing really well now. Yeah, it's great to see that all the boys have pushed on in their careers and most of them have played international football as well. So it's great that all of us as a team, we were all great together, won all Ireland's one leagues and it's great to see that all of them are still playing football and moving on in their career and I'm delighted for that for all of them. Yeah, I think that list actually every one of them has played international football and a few of them were in the Irish under-19s recently that got to the European Championship semi-finals. So when you're a kid and you're playing for that team in Joey's and Joey's and there's so many really good players, when did you start to take football more seriously and think, well, I really enjoy this but also I'm quite good at it and other people think I'm good at it? I think at Joey's I was still young, I was only 11 or 12 so at that stage I was just enjoying football, it's not your job and you just look forward to getting out onto the pitch and playing and doing your your game your thing and that's what I need to get back down because I think when I was away in Liverpool there's more pressure on you and it's your job and you start to lose the enjoyment a bit so I've came back here to get me enjoyment back for football and in the sessions with Pat I have been and I've been looking forward to playing every day. So as a young player and you know it's still very common now when young players are 12, 13 the FAI staff start to watch them the Irish international team started at 15 when you were playing it now starts there's been a couple of games this year at 14-2 and you can see the scouts on the sidelines and the people in the FAI tracksuits as well and you're one of the best, if not the best player in your age group. What's that like when, when you kind of know every weekend that people are coming to watch you and, you know, really you're trying to earn a move to the UK even at that young age? I think for me it didn't really bother me because I just concentrated on playing my game and I went out there to impress not just them but put on a show for everybody. So for me I think it was better playing in front of a crowd and in front of scouts because it made me perform better and... I could concentrate for the whole game because I knew I had to play well. So that worked for me. And I think playing in the League of Ireland in front of a crowd and obviously the home fans for Pats, they'll be singing and everything. So I think that'll make me play better rather than 20 people watching an under-23s game because it's not real football. So I'm looking forward to experiencing that. Yeah, my dad John actually managed the Belvedere team against that Joey's team in the later years and I can promise you Glenn was a top, top schoolboy player. And if you're wondering about the noises in the background, folks, we're sitting in Glenn's car because we couldn't get into the studio and it's absolutely lashing rain. So uh, we're trying to keep the noise in the background down as, as much as possible. So you're playing for Joey's and the interest from Liverpool comes. Bring me back to then. You're 13? 12 I was at that stage and... I was after being at a few clubs on trial and Liverpool was my last team to go on trial for. My dad said, go and see if you like it. So I went and done a session and then after that one session they asked me to sign. So from there on I was a Liverpool player and moved over just before my 13th birthday. So it's been a long six years over there. Yeah, like the rules are that you have to be 16 to move to the UK, but clubs do have ways of of getting around that and getting players over earlier. But 13, like it's very, very young to move. How was the move actually allowed and, and you know, how did it actually happen that at that age, you know, yourself and your parents who clearly had a massive role in it decided, yeah, he can go and, and move to England as a, you know, just turned 13? I think me, Mar and Dar understood that I wanted to be a professional footballer. So for them, they had real, they didn't really have a choice then to let me go because I wanted to go as well. And, I think moving over at that young age helped me as well because I got to do three years in skill with all the boys off the team. So it helped me get become friends with them and get in with the team. So I think moving over that young really benefited me because I got to, to learn about the academy and progress through the ranks. So I'm happy that I did move over at that age. So you had just finished second year. You hadn't even done your junior cert. And there's debates all the time now about you know young lads saying even through their leaving cert. But there is some sort of education over there and, and, and for you as a 13-year-old, you weren't just playing football. No, when I moved over, I had to go to school every week. So 
I got all my GCSEs over there and then once I finished that I done my um, A levels. So I got my full education and and learned about the football so it worked both ways for me and my family. So did you actually go to like a real mainstream school or was it schooling through Liverpool like? Uh, it was a school called Rain Hill, it's a public school so there's every student in it but Liverpool have a part in the school so all the players go there but we get to mix with all the boys and girls which was good for us as well. So at that age are you training in the daytime and you know school is mixed around it or is training in the night time? We used to go training, we used to go to school from 9 till 12 then leave, go training from 12 to 2, then come back to school half 2 to 4. So it was called day release, so it was good because we got both things in and then you were still finished early. Nice, okay, so you're doing that and you're playing football as well. And like, if we look in the English academies now, it's so hard for young Irish players to, in inverted commas, make it into a senior team, particularly at a Premier League club. And, and you know, Liverpool are a top Premier League club, competing for the title with Man City, Champions League winners, Champions League finals in recent years as well. How was that actually competing on the pitch from when you got there to when you've just left of actually playing football with some of the best young players in the world? I think when I first got there, it wasn't too bad because you're still young, under 16s and under 18s. I had very good seasons and then I got to 23s and I realised it's a different game because I had players like Solanke and Origi, Markovic, Chamberlain all dropping down to get fitness. So. We can't expect to be playing if them players are dropping down, but it's just a bit disheartening when you're training every day of the week and then get told you're not playing because Origi or Solanke's down, which I understand, but at the same time, we want to be playing as well. So that's another reason why I had to leave there. And the same Origi who scored a goal for Liverpool in the Champions League final just in, in May, just gone. So that's the type of, of level that Glenn has been playing at very recently as well. And, you know, other strikers at the club when you were there... Luis Suarez would have been coming towards the end of his time when you were at the club. Mane, Salah, Firmino are still there now. Fernando Torres had just left. You know, Steven Gerrard would have been the club captain. Jamie Carragher might have still been there as well. You know, the list goes on of the type of unbelievable players, but particularly the strikers like Luis Suarez, etc. Firmino, Salah, Mane, training with them, competing with them, playing with them. Like, tell me about that. It's amazing. You just get to see them in their full flow and it's a pleasure to watch and great to learn from. And they're all lovely people as well, so they're great to be around and if you need advice often they'll give it to you and Daniel Sturridge as well he was very helpful with me he took time to talk to me and he was one of the best to be honest How good is Luis Suarez when you're training with him watching him up close because I used to love I'm a Liverpool fan right and the, the show was actually sponsored by the LFC store in the Ilex Centre and you know I've got the games and interviewed loads of, of the LFC legends over the years but like how good was Suarez is Suarez I was only young when he was there so I never really got to train with him but I got to watch him a few times and he trains like he plays, he's all out and his intensity is crazy so I think that's what makes him one of the best players in the world is rootlessness and he always wants to score so it was a pleasure to watch. So in recent times, you know, you mentioned Sturridge who was in and out of the team but is a goal scorer and, you know, is an England international and, you know, loves being around the box and then the other players, you know, the three in the last couple of years that have almost delivered the league title in the Champions League are Salah, Mane and Firmino. What were they like and, and you know, again, how often did you get to train with them and maybe do extra shooting with them and stuff like that? Thing, you train with them about once a week, going up there mainly days after the game. So most of the time, Salah and Mane were on recovery. But Sturridge, as I was saying, he was very good with all the young boys coming up, and I got to do a few extra shooting sessions with him, and he's a top top player. So is that just like like we hear about? You know, the underage goalkeepers out, the strikers take a bag of balls or two bags of balls, and just practice. Yeah. Definitely, I think the main thing for players even at that level is to practice because 
once you get your consistency and keep working on it, it's going to come natural to you in the game. So I think for the keepers to get that practice as well and for the strikers, it's good for both of them. So it's something that needs to be done. So you'd have played academy football as a kid and then you're, you're just turned 19. So at the age of, of kind of 17, 18, you're, you can play 18s, but you want to play under 23s and you want to eventually get into the first team as well. What's that kind of path like when, you, when you're at that kind of age where you're just about to go too old for 18s and the next step is, you know, men's football. As you said, you're not sure how real it is, but there are still real players playing with you and playing against you. Of course, yeah. 18s is like, it's in the middle of men's and kids football so it's a good year to adjust and enjoy yourself but then once you get to 23s especially at a club like Liverpool you have players like Ryan Kent, Harry Wilson, Ryan Brewster, Jerome Sinclair was there so it's tough to break into that team but I think when you get your chance you just have to try take your chance and then it's an awkward age as well because there's players like Pedro Cervella, Origi, Solanke, Markovic dropping down so it's a mixed group and Everybody wants different things in their career, so it's hard to get that team spirit going, but we all tried our best and gave our everything, and it worked off most weeks. Yeah, I was actually over in Liverpool a few weeks ago with the Belvedere under-14s, under and we got to play in the academy, and uh, you, know, you can see the new first-team training complex being built as well, and, and you know, sure an unbelievable place to go to work and to play football every day as well. Did you ever take time, maybe when you were 16, 17, 18, just to think, I'm actually, you know, this is my job, I'm a Liverpool football player, like... No, I never done that, but thinking to an hour probably should have. But I think when you're in it, you don't really look at it like that because that's your job and you're just used to it. But looking back on it, it was an amazing experience for me and it's something that I'm grateful for and that I'm happy that I've done. But now it's time to move on and get playing men's football and progress my game from here and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we speak about your uh, League of Ireland career coming up in a second. Uh, the managers who would have been at the club, Manager when you signed was Brendan Rodgers and yeah. Jurgen Klopp for the last couple of years as well, two of the best managers probably in the history of Liverpool. Rodgers nearly led Liverpool to a league title. Klopp has done the same. Klopp's led to the Champions League as well. How were they and, and you know, how much contact did you have with either of them? Probably more with Klopp given you've been older when he's been there. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers is the one who signed me, so I appreciate what he'd done for me and I got to meet with him a few times when signing and before signing about what had happened at the club and then unfortunately for him he left and then Klopp came in but Klopp is just one of them people that's just like happy and you feel that off him. He's just exactly what he is off on the telly in real life. So being around him, you get a positive feeling and he just wants you to enjoy yourself but work hard at the same time. So it's good to be, play under him. Yeah, I'm sure as a young player, just him walking into the training ground and if you're in with them that day and, you know, he just smiles at you, gives you a high five, probably gives you a hug even. You're just going, God, I, I really want to train for this guy. Yeah, he makes you want to work for him and give everything for him because of the type of person he is and I think that's the reason why Liverpool Force team are so successful at the moment because of the manager and what he can get out of the players so for me he's in the top three best managers in the world maybe the top so I think with him and all the players they can push on and hopefully they win the league this year What does he do as a manager to make him so good like obviously I'm sure he's great as a one-to-one type manager is he a coach on the training pitch or does he leave that to coach and staff and you know you've had an access to see him when we can see him so what's he actually like I think obviously is the type of person he is makes the players want to play from but then at times if you're doing something wrong he'll let you know because he's not afraid to shout at you and tell you so I think there's a nice balance in between and the players respect that so I think that's why they give everything for them and why he's getting the all from them and overall like when you're a younger player at the club like first team managers first team staff first team players 
do they take much of an interest and are, are they good you know I know in Liverpool at the moment the academy and the first team aren't really training in the same, well they're not training in the same complex they will be soon but I'm sure when you're at that age when you are in the round 23s and first team you're more near them and you know would they take an interest and, and say hello to you and make sure you're okay um, most of them would yeah of course because you're coming in there and hopefully they want you to progress the team and you can do a job for them as well so most of them are nice to you yeah but when you're in the academy you don't really see many of them or the manager doesn't really come to work so it's just mainly when you get your time to go to Melwood you have to show what you can do and then the players will respect that if you give your everything. And one person who would have seen a lot of you Glenn is Stephen Gerrard who went from being the club captain to the under 18 manager and of course now he's the Rangers manager too and, and you know one of these new ex-players who's very quickly become a manager of Frank Lampard others have, have, have you know done the same what was he like to work under as under 18 manager when, when you were one of his players? It was just amazing to have a player of that calibre being your manager because he's Stevie Gerrard and it's at Liverpool Football Club so he's a lot of people's idol so you want to give everything as well and then I think that was his first managing job so for him he was learning so it was good for everybody in that situation and then obviously he's pushed on to Rangers now which I wish him the very best of luck so hopefully he can push on in his career and maybe one day manage Liverpool. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a Liverpool manager in the future. There's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind too. And like, you're playing for him, and and you know he's such a legend at the club. And, and apart from his, his football on the pitch stuff, the experiences that he's had too, I'm sure that has to be a massive help to young players. That you know he's done exactly what what you guys were doing, come through the ranks of Liverpool and, and gone right to the top. And I'm sure just to have someone like that for advice and stuff must have been great. I think a player and a man like that, everything he says, you have to take on board and listen because. There's no place he's not been. He's been to World Cups, he's won the Champions League, played him many games in the Premier League, scored goals. So everything he says you can take and use in your game. So I think I'm lucky to have had a player like that coach me and I'm grateful for that. Last one on Liverpool and away from the football. Life off the pitch as a young player there and you know, you are a young person who who, who is quite famous in terms of, of what you've done and, and your name in this country, but I'm sure over there as well and, and you know, with that comes Money, but that comes all the other bits that go with it. You know, girls, nights out, lots of stuff away from football that can distract you very easily. How did you handle all that? I think it's just about balancing it because I moved over at a young age and I moved over with Conor Matheson. So we always had each other there, obviously two Irish boys in the change room. And then once you get to 18, it's all right to go on a night out. But I think it's just when you go, like a bank holiday when you're off is probably the right time or if you have two or three days off. But I think it's just keeping your feet on the ground and not letting any of that get to your head because it can easily happen but I think with my parents my man and dad wouldn't let me get like that and I appreciate that because it could easily happen but they're a good uh, support system behind me so they wouldn't let me get like that but I think for some players it's just about staying humble and realising that it can all be gone as well so just enjoy it in the moment You mentioned your man Dan you haven't lost your Dublin accent anyway Glenn thank God some lads go over and they have this English twang and they have this English accent you don't and uh, you're back living with your mum and your dad or your man and your dad as you say how has that been it must be a bit weird given you, you, you kind of became a teenager and grew up as a teenager I'm sure you were there in the summers but not there full time for the last six years and, and now you're back as a, as a young man yeah it's a mad one at the moment because I'm not used to people telling me what to do either so I think the longer I'm there we'll start to understand each other and it's just great to be back home with them because I've spent a lot of time away from them so I'm appreciating every minute that I have with them and I'm really enjoying being back home. So your man's having a go if you if you leave the, the dirty socks and jocks on the floor if you don't bring your plate to the dishwasher? <laughs> you know yourself what man's like so 
I'll just have to do me bit around the house and then everyone will be happy. You're smiling, Glenn, and you've mentioned the word happy a lot over the last 15 or so minutes that we've been chatting to. You seem, even though it's a blow to have been released by Liverpool or, or, or you know, that, that you, you made a mutual decision, but you've left Liverpool. It, that's probably the best way to word it. And you've come back to Ireland. I'm sure you had options to stay in the UK as well. But you just seem, at the moment, at ease and, and happy to be, to be home. Yeah, that's the main thing for me because, to be honest, I wasn't happy in England for the past year and a half, two years. So the main thing for me was just to get back being happy and being surrounded by my family and friends and enjoying football, which I really am at St. Pat's at the moment. So... Hopefully that stays, well, it will stay the same way because I'll be playing four-seam football and once I'm performing, I'll be playing. So that's the main thing for me. So you've just turned 19. You've signed an 18-month deal with St. Pat's. So you'll be there until the end of the 2020 League of Ireland season, which will begin next March and run all the way through. But still, nine league games left, eight after this weekend, if, if your clearance comes through or if it doesn't too. How have you kind of, what have you made, I suppose, of the league so far? You've been training with St. Pat's. You were at their league game against Dundalk on, on Saturday too. And, I'm sure you, you may be watching it from afar, but you've ha- had a chance maybe to see it more or closely in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the league is its a very strong league and I'm looking forward to getting started in it because I think it suits a player like me who's tricky and quick. So I think I can bring something different and go at defenders, which it didn't look like they were used to. So I'm looking forward to getting started and scoring goals. Yeah, what will you bring to St. Pat's? You said you're quick and, and you're nippy and you're, you're a skillful player who likes to, as you said, get at team. So... What will you bring and, and hopefully maybe a surprise package that people have heard your name but maybe haven't seen you as closely as they will in the c- coming weeks and months? I'll bring goals which we need at the moment to get into Europe and a bit of excitement into the team, into the final tour because I'll run out players and the big centre-halves won't be used to that so I'm looking forward to doing it to them. And men's football as well, you know, everybody your age speaks about that and you know, we spoke about some of your former you know, players at Joey's, the likes of, of Andy Lyons and Aaron Bulger and Brandon Kavanagh have been getting men's football. I think Ryan Burke and Joe Rebbin have been involved in the, the Birmingham first team this season. All of your, your people born in 2000, your age, have been playing for Ireland. They're all around first teams, men's teams. How important is that for you now that if you do run past a defender and he hacks you down, that's something that maybe at 23 football or 18 football it might not happen? Yeah, I think under 23's football, it's not real football because as I'm saying, everybody's in a different headspace and everybody wants different things from the game. So, I think playing men's football where you're surrounded by people who all want the three points and all want to push for Europe, you just can all go together and everyone understands what each other wants. So that's going to be good for me and having people behind me that will give me the ball because we need goals to win games is going to be good. We'll finish on this one. Um, Glenn, you're back in the league for now. You've had a taste of England without looking too far ahead. Is that something you want to do again or is it just play for Pats for now and, and kind of see where it takes you? I think at the moment just concentrate on Pats for the next 18 months or so and then see what happens after that. Yeah, great stuff and the very best of luck to Glenn McCauley in his new career with St. Pats. It's Jamie Moore here. You're on episode 26 of the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. We're turning to Europe next and the Champions League. Dundalk against Karabag in the Champions League. Second qualifying round, second leg kicks off in Baku and Azerbaijan this coming Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock. The game is live on Air Sport. It's 1-1 from the first leg. Patrick Hubin's first ever Champions League goal got an equaliser for Dundalk at a packed Oriole Park on Wednesday. Focus then moved quickly back to the league for the Lily Whites and they beat St. Pat's 1-0 at Richmond Park on Saturday in a league game. John Mountney got the winning goal. And after that match, I caught up with the Dundalk first team coach, Mr. John Gill. So with Dundalk first team coach John Gill, I'm keeping him from his curry. So John, thanks for having a chat. You've just beaten St. Pat's 1-0 in the league in the middle of your two European games. So I'm sure happy with your evening's work. Yes, yeah, it was a great, it was a tricky game, Jamie. You know yourself, coming between the European games. 
So we were obviously ner- not nervous about it, but we were apprehensive because we knew, you know, uh, we put in a, a huge amount of effort on Wednesday. We made a number of changes tonight, um, but the boys that came in were magnificent. We have a big squad. That's, that's you know, we haven't had a chance maybe to use maybe all of them as much as we'd like, but there's a lot of them, a lot of them that certainly have 20-odd games a season, like Gartland, Cleary, Jarvis, they've all got a lot of game time. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was an important win because... You know, there's no, there's no doubt Rovers are not going away anywhere fast, so that's why it was an important win. They'll go down to Cork tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure they'll fancy themselves getting a win down there, but all we can do is concentrate on what we do. And I thought, I thought we controlled the game. The conditions made it very, very tough from both teams, and the pitch was magnificent. Uh, but I thought we overall we controlled the game. Yeah, we're speaking on Saturday evening, this will go out on Monday, so by the time uh, Rovers play, we're not sure of, of, of what they'll have done in Cork at the moment. You're eight clear, you could be five clear, or it could be depending if they draw, but either way, you've maintained at least your five-point gap, which is very important, given the league you built over them, just because you're in Europe, you want to make sure you keep your eye on the league ball. Yeah, absolutely, and I think the one thing with this group is that, I think the last time in the group stage, just in 2016, there was, a, there was a, 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 lot of, a lot of games then, so this group was used to maybe, you know, playing and Coming from switching off from Europe, playing league games, switching off from Europe, playing league games. Now it's difficult to do, but there's a lot of experience in the dressing room. I mean, it's a it's well, it's a very experienced bunch of players and a fantastic bunch of players, very professional, um, and they, they've they've a hunger about them that is, is frightening at times. And I thought tonight, you know, just proved that. Now we 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 dusted ourselves down. We had a chat afterwards about tomorrow. We're back in tomorrow. I think we've been in twelve days in a row up to this, and we'll be in for the next twelve days, which is great because that's that means we're doing well. Um, and we're, we're, we're you know we're challenging on all fronts. We've a, we've a league cup semi final coming up. We've the first round of the we've we've a big schedule coming up. But we feel with the squad that we have, we, we're very you know we full full belief and and. Uh, full belief in the squad that we have and that's why we, we, we assembled that squad and, and a lot of them are going to play a lot more you know a lot of them are going to play most of the squad will get a lot of game time between now and the end of the season Yeah you kept your goalkeeper Gary Rogers in goal tonight I had him on the show last weekend before he was about to become the all-time League of Ireland European appearance holder and he, he did that the other night in the opening round of, of the, the sorry the second round of the Champions League as well and again he was fantastic here tonight and he just keeps going and going keeping clean sheets and, and he's now the all time he's beaten Owen Harry and Ali Kala to, to be the all time European holder Well he's like Benjamin Button isn't he he's, like, he's, he's, he's getting better with age he's like Buffon I mean he's got himself in fantastic uh, physical condition for a man of his age 37 and um, He's not too far behind me, actually. Uh, no, but he's in magnificent condition. I mean, I think that's his 13 to 14 clean sheet tonight. Um, after after we get off to a sticky start, but uh, you know, Gary Gary epitomises you know what this league is about. I thought he's been. I thought in the last the the, two, the the last three games in Europe, he's been magnificent. He brings a calmness and an assuredness to it to to to, to, a, to a team. Um, and again tonight, didn't have much to do, but what he had to do, he was excellent. So, Gary, I'm thrilled for him. He deserves it. He does. All, he deserves all the credit that he gets because t- people don't realise the sacrifices that you have to make to stay at this level of, of you know, at this level of, of commitment to play at this level. And he's done that over a period of 15, 16 years. Have you ever been to Azerbaijan before, John? And what do you know about where you're going to the city, the hotel, the stadium, the weather, all that sort of stuff? No, we've been to Kazakhstan. I think you were here, Jamie, at the last time we were. We, I think we were, no, sorry, that was Rovers. We, I was here with Pats in 2010, I think it was. We had a 17 hour flight, 17 hour trip to Kazakhstan. So Monday, hopefully, won't be that long. It's seven hours. But the club, we, again, we do things right. We've, 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 uh, we've chartered a plane. So, you know, that's, that's good. We leave at 11 o'clock Monday morning. We're in tomorrow morning. We'll train. We know that we've kept in mind the temperatures over there. It's been mid 30s. But we know we're going to a good stadium with a good pitch. And I think that'll suit us. Um, I think there was a lot of lessons learned maybe last year in the, in the game over Larnaca from speaking to the, to the back room, you know, to the management team and the players. So we, we'll definitely go into that game. In the right frame of mind, with a with a with a with a definite game plan, 
Is it going to be a difficult night in the office? Yes, it will be. But we also feel that we can make it a difficult night for them as well. Yeah, and the fact it's a 1-1, they have an away goal, so you guys know you need to score. But, you know, Patrick Hooban, who's got his first Champions League goal the other night. You've got Georgie Kelly and all of your other attacking players available. Michael Duffy, McElhenney, McGrath to go on. You're, I'm sure you're very confident of, of your boys getting at least one away goal, which you do need. Yeah, and I think if you look again, if you look at the record in Europe over the last couple of years, few years, Dundalk have a fantastic... We've always managed to score a goal, I think, in most of the toys that we've played in. So we feel that we can score away, um, whether it be from open play or from a set play. So we feel that there's areas that we can hurt them in. What we've got to do is make sure that we're, we're giving ourselves that chance that we, that we don't, you know, unlike last year, maybe after 20, 25 minutes, the game is over. We don't want that. So we'll be going in with a definite plan um, and, and, and with, a, with an air of confidence that we know on our second half performance on Wednesday that we can, we can hurt them. How different are the away European games to the home ones, John, and what would those main differences be? Um, funny enough, Judging on the first round tie against Riga, we actually played better away from home, Jamie, because in fairness, they came in to sit in. Now, Carabag are a different, different, different breed. They actually play on the front foot. They like to, you know, they have a lot of good attacking players, particularly on the left-hand side. Um, and, and believe it or not, that kind of suits us because it does leave pockets for a counter-attack and we're good at that. We found against Riga that we had to be so disciplined um, because they did sit in and, and, and were that way when they went away as well. And the two most creative players, they actually didn't play in the second leg until 20 minutes ago. So... It, 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 it sometimes can suit it certainly seems to suit a Dundalk team because they've gone away to split before they've gone away to, to, to Bate and won so um, this Dundalk team is used to winning you know competing away from home so I think on, 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 on Wednesday if we can as I said to you we're patient and we stay in the game we're fully confident that we can score a goal we only need to score one and even if they score first we get a, you know we just have to score once to bring it into you know extra time or whatever else so we're going over there feeling that we're in with a great shout of progressing John just a last two yourself and the other staff had a, a meeting on the pitch here and interested in, in to hear about Stevie O'Donnell I know he was in Azerbaijan to watch them and uh, you know he's taken over the role from Murray Higgins Murray Higgins and yourself and Vinny are doing the coaching and Stevie I know has had a, a massive impact because he's literally just retired and I'm sure he can speak in the language the footballers understand not that you guys can't but you know what I mean yeah. and, uh, like he's been there and, and he, I'm sure he's been a big help and I'm not sure if he's watched any possibly the next round people but he's uh, seemed to settle into that job quite nicely he is and, and the information that he's given us in the, for the for the Riga toys and the game against um, like he was out in, he was out in Albania and he was in uh, Azerbaijan watching these and that, that information was crucial to us now it didn't it wasn't we gave away a goal at McConnor on Wednesday funny enough and that's something that we don't normally do and that you know, sucked the sucked the life out of us for a little bit. We lost our little bit of composure and a little bit of belief. But his information is, is first rate. A guy, the knowledge that he has in the game and the fact that he's so much European experience, Jamie, is magnificent. And the players have a massive amount of respect from as do the staff. It's it's a it's a lovely balance with the management team. I think with the lads at Vinny and, and, and Rory obviously have great experience as well in it. I've been a little bit in it nowhere near as, as much as these guys have. So it's working it well. Stevie does all our scouting for us and, and he, he's forensic in the detail that he can go into. And the fact that he knows the game and has played it at such a high level, he's usually spot on. And finally, John, the Dundalk fans were here in their hundreds again today. You know, they travelled fantastically to, to Latvia in the last round too. Azerbaijan's a more difficult place to get to, I'm sure. But I love the, the League of Ireland stories. You know, St. Pat's had fans in Sweden, Cork City the same in, in, in their game in Luxembourg. Shamrock Rovers, you know, have, have another away game to go next week as well. And you guys too. And the League of Ireland fans, the real core ones, they travel around Europe to go and watch their teams. And I, I know you guys really appreciate that and hoping for another big away support on Wednesday. Yeah, I, I, I believe, Jamie, there's between 70 and 100 people travelling. Now, that's what it, we were led to believe. So, I mean, that's a fantastic. Uh, effort uh, we brought we brought four or five hundred I think or, well certainly three or four hundred to uh, Riga I know that's a bit easier to get there but I believe there's up to a hundred people pro- possibly travelling to Azerbaijan on Wednesday which is magnificent and as you say we want to see I've, I've gone on record myself 
this parochial, sometimes you know, we're a little bit parochial over here when it comes to other teams. I want to see all the teams progress in Europe and do well because it's good for our league. I was hoping the Pats would get through, I was hoping Cork would get through. I went on record, I sent a tweet out hoping that Shamrock Rovers would get through. And I really I hope they do go on Wednesday because it's only it can only be good for our league and, and, and the publicity that it gets. We've had enough negativity the last three or four months. Hopefully, Europe this year can give us some positive stories. And John Lassie, you mentioned uh, your tweets and you know, some League of Ireland coaches and managers are on it, others aren't as well. You're quite open with, with popping up stuff on Twitter too. Uh, do you enjoy it and, and is it something you considered when you got back into the league with Dundalk of, of, of you know not going on Twitter or, or, or not I tend I, I try not to Jamie I, I try to sometimes bite my lip I do want it a bit um, I think it's a great tool from, from, a, from a learning point of view there's some very good sites on it like when it's, it's, it's an, it keeps you inquisitive it can become a little bit uh, addictive but like I, just, I've got I, I go on Twitter for a number of various reasons um, mental health being one of them Um uh, I'm a great mental mental health advocate, but I do. I, I like going on, and I and I try to be as positive as I can. I've made one mistake before where I went on Twitter in a previous club and and probably was a little bit naughty in it, and I paid the price for that. I don't get involved in, and I won't get involved or embroiled in any controversy. Um, but I do try to be positive, and I think what I try to be is I try to be proud of the league. I've worked in it a long time. I've been around it a long time. I've played in it a fair amount of time, and it's I, I I'm, I'm passionate about the league. I just think it's you know. It, I agree we've all got to our own little kind of niches to look after but we should as a group we need to come together more in my view and, and promote this league because we have a great product it's a great league to be in as you know yourself John Gill thanks a million enjoy the curry enjoy your husband we'll speak to you soon thanks Jamie pleasure that's Dundalk first team coach John Gill speaking to myself Jamie Moore on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast before Dundalk flew off to Baku and Azerbaijan to play their UEFA Champions League second qualifying round second leg and of course, it's 1-1 from the first leg, so the very best of luck to everybody involved. Vinnie Pert, John Gill, Rory Higgins, and all the coaching staff in that game against Carabag. And one other note there, a great piece by Owen Cowser in the Sun newspaper. You'll find it on Twitter or in the newspaper itself, where Jamie McGrath and Sean Gannon apparently nearly got arrested for taking pictures in public with photographers. Apparently, in that part of Azerbaijan, you have to have a special permit to do outdoor filming and photos, and they didn't have it. So, thankfully, they did not end up in the police cell. They are in their team hotel and ready for that game. So, the best of luck to everybody involved in that one. Now, Shamrock Rovers in the Europa League second qualifying round, second leg, have a great chance. They lead Apollon Limassol from Cyprus 2-1 after the first leg. They went 1-0 down very early in that game. was at Tallis Stadium, brought my little cousin to his first ever Europa League game. It was an unbelievable atmosphere again. Fantastic support from the Shamrock Rovers fans. And two goals from set pieces, one from Lee Grace and the second from Roberto Lopez, both assisted, surprise, surprise, by Jack Byrne. Med Rovers uh, won the game by two goals to one. Rovers then went to Cork on Sunday. And that game finished 1-1 in the league. It's another brilliant goal by Aaron McInef as well. So that game finished 1-1. Now, before they headed off and after that game on Thursday, I spoke to the head coach, Stephen Bradley, and one of the goal scorers, Roberto Lopez. With the Shamrock Rovers head coach, Stephen Bradley. Stephen, uh, nice victory tonight. You went 1-0 down to Apollon Limassol in Cyprus. Two goals. We think Lee Grace the first one, Roberto Lopez the second, and you're 2-1 up going into the second leg. Yeah, we, uh, we obviously started on the back foot. They scored a great goal and... But again, we show an unbelievable character and togetherness to, to just relax and, and play our way back into the game and, and, uh, and win the game. I don't know the last time it's been done, two games in a row, but uh, this group has shown the character to come back and do it. What were you thinking when their captain scores from maybe 25 yards after probably four minutes? I, I, could, I could see everybody was stunned. Yeah, because we spoke about not conceding early, but to be fair, sometimes we should have defended the cross better. Our clearance was poor, but to be fair, sometimes uh, the, the strike is just that good. There's nothing you have to hold your hands up, and it was that was the case tonight. He caught it so so sweetly and went in the top corner. But the pleasing thing was, I knew we, we wouldn't be rattled like last week. I knew we'd relax and, and play ourselves into the game. We did that. 
Set pieces have been so important for your team this season and the two goals tonight have come from at league race and Roberto have been very important not just in Europe but in the league as well and, and it proved the case tonight with Jack Byrne I think assisting both. Yeah, Jack's delivery, we know it's always on point, we know it's always there, it's about us hitting our areas and we, and we did that tonight. Um, like I said, we probably should have scored again, Lee hit the crossbar off him, so uh, we know the delivery there, we just have to go and make sure we hit our spots. Are you surprised that you've scored so many goals from set piece in Europe, given you would think the standard of defending and the standard of opposition analysis should be better, or is it just your players being so good in the box and the delivery's been so good as well? I don't think it matters if you're playing in Europe or domestic, if the delivery's that good and you hit the, your timing right, you'll get chances and uh, we did that against UCD on Sunday and we did it again tonight uh, so it's all about delivery and timing Yeah I spoke to Jack Byrne here last Thursday after the first leg and, and we put out a video today him saying how much you've helped him and allowed him to express himself and that he's really enjoying his football and tonight like I actually watched the game among the fans and they were just excited every time he got the ball and he's just doing amazing things every match here yeah, he's he's starting to show what a special player he is. He's he's a proper footballer now. He, he works his arse off for the team, and uh, and then his quality is there for him to see. I thought he was the best player on the pitch by a mile tonight, uh, like he was last week in, in, with Brand. Um, but like I said, it's really pleasing to see the work rate and the team work that he's putting in, and then his quality is is there for everyone to see. I'm not sure how long his contract is, but you're going to have to try and lock him in some room and make sure you keep him because I'm sure clubs will be interested after his performances the last few weeks. Yeah, but look, like I said before, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a player of Jack's quality delivering and then trying to hide him from everyone. He's there, he's, he's signed us long term. Uh, we're comfortable, Jack's enjoying his football. And uh, like I said, his head's down, he wants, to, he wants to help this club achieve things. Unreal atmosphere again, and I think a couple of times you, you were appealing for your players to show calm, maybe to pass it or, or whatever, but the crowd are so up and, and you're probably the calmest man in the ground. How do you handle that when it's so loud and your players can't hear you and maybe they're doing things because of the atmosphere they wouldn't normally do? Yeah, I just felt at times, and again, you have to remember, like you said, there's probably 6,000, 6,500 there it's a, it's against a top team at Europe. You have to take all that into consideration, but there was times when we were a bit rash with either our play or decision-making, especially early, but then we settled, and, and uh, once we settle and we play our game, we can impose ourselves on anybody. This stadium has become a special place on European nights. The, the stand behind the goal has made a, a huge difference. Thankfully, tonight the fans stayed off and the two goals were scored as well. And Do you feel that they give a massive help to the players? And People often speak of like the cop and Anfield sucking goals in. And, and yeah. you know, When you attack that half in, that goal in the second half, it, it makes a difference mentally as, as well as obviously in the game. Yeah, no, 100%. We asked for, the, for a big crowd. We asked for the fans to come out of the numbers, and they did. Uh, I thought they were unbelievable on night. Um, especially when they scored, they got us going again. And uh, when you're out there as a player and stuff like that happens, uh, just the crowd just, just gets you going, they stay with you. And I thought you were uh, magnificent, darling. The second leg is away, you're, you're going to travel on Monday. The heat, the trip, I know it's experience that you guys have had before. How do you, how do you, you know, factor all that in, given you have to travel Monday and the games not till Thursday and trying to acclimatise and all that? Yeah, we bring the players early and, and let them settle in and relax. But we were talking to their official yesterday and they were saying it's even too hot for them at the moment. Um, in terms of they can't even try in the morning, they're trying in night times they can't go out because it's so hot at the moment so it's going to be both teams it's going to affect and uh, like I said we'll go to our game plan to win the game Is that something that your players would have experienced before you know on a final note it being that hot and what impact will that have on the game given that those people are from Cybers and they can't train in the daytime Yeah no it'll definitely have an effect on the game I'm sure the pace of the game will come down an awful lot than what it was tonight but um, it still doesn't change our game plan and how, we, how we'll approach with Shamrock Rover score Roberto Lopez you were uh, very long getting uh, finished the game Roberto what goes on in a winning dressing room music player and, and a very happy place after a 2-1 win over Apollon Limassol but uh, a very happy place I'm sure when you win a big game yeah definitely especially with the atmosphere and that and the energy that's around the stadium it just it kind of tumbles into the dressing room everyone's buzzing everyone's praising each other 
but as well we're, we're trying to recover so we're getting that food in we're getting that water and stretching off in, in the dressing room and, and showering obviously so we've got an important few days with the tor- big turnaround to Cork and then the travelling over there it's important that we look after ourselves and, and fuel ourselves properly Who is the dressing room DJ and what does he play? Lee Grace uh, to be fair he's, he took the reins this year and it's been really really good stuff he's a good mix for everything mainly house uh, is a beat to set really um, but he has a few oldies there for, for everybody as well And is it same music pre-match every match same last song or does he mix it up? Um, we kind of have like a set few tracks that have to be in there just to please everyone um, and then Lee kind of adds his, his, his own bits as he goes along and, and no one's complained since so may it continue Yeah let's talk about the game 1-0 down their captain pops one into the top corner from 25 yards after 4 minutes and you're thinking oh no Yeah like I, I, don't know, I think the way it happened an absolute scream and the first few minutes like just, there's nothing really you can do so you kind of forget about it quickly and, and move on and to be fair I think we reacted really well showed good character to get back into the game uh, create a few more opportunities and, and prevented them to very little I think added a few saves from distance but apart from that I don't think they created much um, but I thought, again they thought great characters took together to get back in the game yeah, we spoke on, on the show last weekend about set pieces in the previous round in, in which you scored and, and it's been the case here again tonight where the two goals come from set pieces. You must be so happy to, for yourself and Lee. We spoke about Sean Cavanagh, didn't even take the two of them. It was Jack Byrne took both and, and two great great goals on, on, on crosses. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, we not, it's week in, week out. Jack puts on the money. He has that quality. So we know the delivery's going to be there. It's just important that our runs are right, that we're not in there too early and we make good connections. So um, it's it's we know we're going to be a threat from it. So it's, it's just good that we're... We're getting the result off it. So. Yeah, I thought for your goal on that side, I thought Sean Cavanagh might have taken it, but Jack took it as an outswinger and you're just there. It's one of those crosses you can just, the pace on you can just flick it in. Exactly, you just, just add one to add on to it. Like I think my me, me time and my run was good. I got across the, the front man, which is the most important part. Once it goes past the front man, it has every chance of even someone getting across uh, the goalkeeper and, and nick it in. So I just I made me run early, managed to glance it on and to see it going back to now. It's just ecstatic, like it was a great feeling. Have you scored in front of that stand since it's been built and since it's been full? And what was that feeling like? Thankfully, the fans stayed in the stands and uh, you went mad. Yeah, I've scored, uh, I think, against Waterford there, that I can remember, but never when the crowd has been like that. So it's just been absolutely brilliant. And to be fair to them, they, you could hear them. They didn't have to be on the pitch uh, to, to hear them. They were great the whole night. And it was just great the moment to share with all the boys and to see the, the South Stand packed the way it was with the display. It was just it was an unbelievable feeling. Yeah, and they have your own song, Pico Pico, Pico Lopez. And I could see you trying to organise your own teammates, but I'm sure you can you can hear it like. Oh yeah, it was just it was brilliant. Like it, it just kind of rattles throughout the whole stadium, and it, it's such an easy chant as well. That's the that's the, yeah. the beauty about it. Like it's an easy nickname. It's an easy chant, and I think if you if you, if you don't hear that, like you don't hear anything. But it was, it's just great to hear it echoing around the ground and. Obviously, I'm trying to keep my concentration during the game, but yeah, I can definitely hear it. And it's, it's it's great. It's a nice uh, touch. Yeah, and you have to keep your concentration and. Uh Asher head coach Stephen Bradley he was trying to get messages on at times and it's so loud and it's so frantic that you guys can't hear him and there was a couple of occasions where he was appealing for people to calm down maybe with a pass or a clearance and like when you're in that atmosphere how difficult is it to actually concentrate on what you're trying to do and under pressure and maybe when you're trying to clear the ball make sure you get a 50 yards as opposed to 5 yards in that chaos yeah, it is difficult, but like we're all professional players, we need to, to manage the game. I think uh, we've been playing the game and not the occasion. Obviously, everything going around uh, the pitch is great. I know the stands, it's brilliant, but we can only control what's on the pitch. So I think, obviously, you can hear the atmosphere, but 
our focus is on the game, our concentration on the game, and we're trying to manage it. Um, if we can't hear the manager, there's players there talking the game to keep it switched on. The message just gets across, and it's just about being professional and managing the games, especially in Europe. Yeah, our final two, the heat of Cyprus, Roberto. I'm not sure if you've ever played in heat like that before. Stephen told us that even Apollon haven't been training in the mornings because it's so hot. Have you ever? What's the hottest temperatures you've played in, and how how do you expect to have to deal with that? You're going on Monday, so you'll have time to acclimatise after the long flight. Yeah, look, it's it's going to be difficult. Uh, I don't think we expect anything different there. The heat is, is always hard to play in. I think of even AIK last year, the stadium was like a sauna. It just it sucked up. I'm not sure what, how hot it was, but it was very hot. And we'd be expecting probably worse conditions again. But it's the same for both teams. Um, we just need to kind of keep the ball probably a bit better tonight and take our breaks when we get them. Make sure we rest and recover and refuel between now and then and stay hydrated. So, um, look... We're just going to play the game for what it is. It's going to be the same for two teams and hope we can get a result. Yeah, bring the sun cream. I like being out playing golf and I'm absolutely roasted here. I can't imagine what it'll be like in Cyprus. And you love defending. Defenders love defending. You've scored some great goals and set pieces too. But you know if you go there and you defend well, they're going to have to score as far as the away goals works and that sort of stuff. So it gives you a great chance. And you guys just love Alan Manison goal defending. And if you can defend well, you're through to the next round. Yeah, definitely. As I say, it, it's a great result. I'm probably we're probably disappointed that we didn't score probably one or two more, given they went down to ten men and we had a few more chances at set pieces. We had a gave us two one before the game. We would have took a hand off because as you say, it goes. It gives us a chance going over there to keep a clean sheet, which is what we, how we earn our money. What we love to do, as you say, defend. If we can keep a clean sheet, there we know we can go through. And as I say with Jack's delivery, we may get more chances to score. So uh, it's going to be a massive game for us as defenders. I'm looking forward to. It. Peter Lopez, thank you very well done. Thanks very much, Tommy. Yeah, that was the Shamrock Rovers goal scorer from Thursday. One of them anyway, Roberto Lopez, along with his head coach, Stephen Bradley, speaking to me. On Thursday night, after that 2-1 Europa League win over Apollon Limassol from Cyprus. Second leg in Cyprus this coming Thursday. Kickoff is at 6 o'clock and the best looked at Hoops, who lead 2-1 in that one. Now, Rovers are seven points behind Dundalk in the league after the weekend's results. Of course, Dundalk beats the Impats by a goal to nil on Saturday and Cork and Shamrock Rovers drew 1-1 on Sunday. Darrell O'Connor put Cork in the lead before Aramark and F's brilliant strike equalised for the hoops. There were also two games on Friday. UCD won, Waterford 2. Zach Elbazetti back in the Waterford team gave his team the lead before Liam Kerrigan, a fantastic player, returned to score in the 68th minute and that meant that it was 1-1 he's joined it from Sligo Rovers under 19s and then Dean Waltz won it for Waterford in the 86th minute that was a really important win the other game finished Finn Harps won Derry nil. Harry Ashkoff with the winner there and that means that the league table looks like this and you know towards the bottom UCD on 17 points they now only have one game in hand on Finn Harps who are on 20 Cork on 27 and Sligo uh, Waterford also on 27 and Sligo up to 32 Pats on 37 Derry on 43 in 4th Bowes on 46 in 5th but Rowers on 52 and the Dock now 7 points clear on 59 with a game in hand so that league uh, title really does look like it's in Dundalk's grasp at the moment in the 1st Division speaking of league titles in the grasp of teams Shells are 8 points clear at the top with just 5 games remaining after a dramatic game at Talker Park on Friday a game I was at it finished Shells 2 Wexford 5 Kieran Kilduff with 2 Ryan Brennan and 2 for Jays Cabia uh, got Shells to win Danny Furlong on the double had got it back to 3-2 and made things a little bit nervy for Shells but they did uh, hang on to win that game by 5 goals to 2 the reason that they are 8 points clear is because the other game involving teams at the top Drada and Cabantidi finished scoreless and that meant that that lead was extended to 8 points Bray beat at loan by 3 goals to nil Dean Williams who was on loan from Shamrock Rovers with that loan for the first part of the season he's now on loan with Bray and he scored a hat-trick in that game what a brilliant little player he is and that was a 3-0 win for Bray an important one for them Limerick 4 Cove Ramblers 3 a seven-goal thriller down there in the Markets Field. And one game on Saturday, along for Town, hammered Galway United by four goals to nil. 
Dean Byrne with two, Sean Boyd with his first goal for the club and Joe Manley with the goals there. Some good news for Galway as well in that the Comer brothers have committed to uh, bankrolling the club for the next couple of years and investing up to 20 million into a new state-of-the-art training facility as well, which is brilliant news for everybody involved in Galway. The results this season under Alan Murphy have been really poor on the pitch, but thankfully things do look a bit more stable for them off the pitch. Now in a moment we are going to hear from the two men involved in the FAI AGM, the two main men involved in that in Donald Conway and Paul Cook in a moment. But firstly, the FAI have confirmed the exact times, dates and venues for the Extra.ie FAI Cup first rounds. And the first round fixtures take place on the weekend of August 9th, 10th and 11th. The game's on Friday. At 7 o'clock, it's Cove Wanderers against Limerick. At 7.45, Bow Shells in a derby at Dalyman Park. Cabin TD against Cork City in Stradbrook. Derry City v Wexford in the Roy McBride Stadium. Trada against Avondale up there in Drada. Pats against Bray in Richmond Park. Glebe North against Sligo in the Market Green in Balbriggan. And Shamrock Row was Finn Hart. That'll be in Tallis Stadium at 8 o'clock So lots of great games there To go and uh, catch up with in the Cup On Saturday it's St Michael's against Glengad United That's in Cook Park at 3 o'clock It's Crumlin against Malahide in Cru- Captain's Road in Crumlin That's a huge game for two of the best amateur teams in the country Cove Ramblers against Dundalks in Collins Park at 7 And you'll remember last season Dundalk lost in the EA Sports Cup semi-final Away to Cove And at half 7 the El Grand Midlands Classico At half 7 City Calling Stadium It's Longford Town against Athlone And finally Sunday August 11th, Lucan United against Colester. That's in Dunny Kearney at 11am. It's Collinstown against Galway and Home Farm FC in Whitehall at 2 o'clock. UCD against Letterkenny Rovers in the UCD Bowl also at 2. What a 3. Minute University Town play Premier Division side Waterford. Now our final port of call on this week's Off the Ball League of Ireland podcast is to bring you my interviews with the FAI's re-elected president Donald Conway and the new vice president, whose name is Paul Cook. This is from the FAI AGM in the Knightsbrook Hotel in Trim on Saturday. Before we hear from them, here is my full report about what went on on Saturday. Donald Conway has been re-elected as president up until the AGM of next year, 2020. 134 votes for, five votes against and one abstention. He hopes to no longer chair the board after September, though one of the four new independent directors will take up that role. The vice president, Noel Fitzroy, faced with no alternative but to withdraw from the race to be the vice president moving forward. So the new FAI vice president is Paul Cook. He beat Jerry McEnany by 80 votes to 57. There were two spoiled votes as well. Cook described himself as the best qualified, honest, straight-talking, not afraid to ask hard questions. He's also a chartered accountant and he wants to be a strong financial voice on the board. The election of auditors has been adjourned for the next part of the AGM after concerns were raised from the floor about the credibility of Deloitte, who have been the accountants of the FAI for the last number of years. And we now know eight of the new 12-person FAI board. Of course, Donald Conway and Paul Cook, who are the president and vice president. And the new six football members, Martin Hegarty, Dick Shakespeare, John Finnegan, Dave Moran, John Early and Joe O'Brien. The other four independent members, plus the new chief executive, is expected to be confirmed and uh, recruited in the coming weeks and months. My role is going to be, the way I see my role, is bringing financial expertise, questioning and financial governance to the association. How big is the job on your hands? I think it's quite, it's, it's, it's challenging. Um, the, I mean, number of issues, financial issues. It's financials because of where we are. They've been well documented, and I think anybody can say they're challenging. Yeah, you've been a, a vocal uh, person who's been, you know, quite critical of what's going on in the FAI in recent times, and now you know you're one of the main people involved on, on the board to try and fix these issues. What are your main things you feel you want to achieve in, in the next, you know, weeks and months? As a proper financial governance with openness and transparency. And how do you do that? You show people proper figures. You question what's been brought to you by the executive and probably the questioning is the real key as a non-executive that's as a non, yeah, non-executive board member that is your challenge and that's what you need to bring and recognise that you're on the board to you know 
if necessary, to hold people to account. Yeah, and you mentioned in, in your speech to the delegates about, you know, the lack of a treasurer moving forward and, and, you know, your experience in football, but also in finance too, and how you feel you can combine both of those roles onto this FAI board. You know, you must be, I'm sure, very confident that you can do that, given you've, you've said it, everybody voted for you. Well, a significant amount of people voted for me anyway. Uh, yeah, I am confident. I think you have to have a little knowledge of what the subject matter that you're dealing with, which is football in this case. But the primary thing, this is a corporate board. It's going to be dealing with corporate matters, corporate financial matters, corporate governance. And that's the main. So the board, we're going to have the six football people who are appointed today, yourself and Donald Conway, yeah. and now four new independent directors. How do you see that mix working when those directors are appointed and, and when you're in, in the boardroom with everybody for the first time, all 12? Well, first of all, you get to know everybody, you see what skill sets people have what kind of complementary skill sets people have and what they're all bringing to, the, bringing to the board and I'm sure everybody will want it better for football and, and, and uh, development of football in Ireland Yeah I certainly feel in, in recent weeks that the public opinion somewhat has swifted or changed shifted should I say you know towards this reform that's going on and, and maybe people aren't as concerned about the future as, as they were previously what would you say to the people who are watching and listening who, who are Irish football fans and, and want a better FAI or seeing what's going on but are still a little bit doubtful as to how it'll all work out in the end? I think we've shown to date that we're prepared to take steps to put the greater governance, to put the reform. We've taken the steps. Some people might say they're baby steps, but I think they're actually significant. You've brought in whole new rules at an EGM last week, 116 votes to two, which was overwhelming that the members are doing. And so you're on that. Again today, there was elections for every position with the exception of Donald's every position there was an election for one thing we didn't see today were the accounts I know you've seen them in your new role and also uh, the position of the auditors moving forward was, was adjourned because people were doubtful about Deloitte given the current uh, accounts haven't been produced yet when do you see a resolution to that and there was talks about when the next AGM or the second part of this AGM happens and, and we'll know you know what's happening with the accounts and also who'll be the, the charter you know accountants and, and stuff moving forward well, I think um, one I think Donald referenced in his speech about the council have to be ready from 30th of September so you're going to have September October period when the council will be ready in relation to the auditors that would be a decision for the members mm-hmm. and that would come to the members no matter what way the board or anyone else wants to deal with it'll be the members decision and as well you know in the press conference there Donna spoke about trying to you know reinstate the public funding and also the money that's coming forward from UEFA and stuff as well how big will your role be in that in, in again trying to convince Shane Ross and the people around him you know to reinstate the money and, and, and also for 2020 and moving forward I would anticipate a, a significant role because if it is finance and that is my skill set it will a serious role and just lastly, the fact that you're new in the role as well, do you feel that will make a difference and help when you're dealing with the likes of Shane Ross and UEFA and FIFA, given that you're not you know, from the old school of the FAI, that, that you're someone new and, and, and you know, maybe someone that, that you know, has nothing to answer for, for the previous FAI and only looking I forward? I think what you're going to say is your manifestation of the reform, the reform process. And everybody, I think, as I said a minute ago, wants to get to the same point. So your manifestation of that. Well, it's for a year. It's for an interim board which as soon as we have the independent directors in place, I will no longer chair. Uh, I'm absolutely delighted with the endorsement of the members of the association. And to me, that's especially important. We are autonomous. Of course, we have key stakeholders that we want good relationships with. But today was about the members making a call, making a choice. And that was especially pleasing. You had to leave the room when, when the vote happened. What were your own feelings when you were out there for that couple of minutes? Like, were you nervous at all? Were you always sure that, that you'd be voted back in? And what would you say to the five people who didn't vote for you? Anybody in that room is entitled to their view as to whether Donald Conway brings any value or otherwise to the board of the FAI, and I respect them all, whether that was in favour or not. I would respect all of those views. 
Um, what I, the sense I had got for the week of the Festival of Football in Mead was that at grassroots level, uh, players, volunteers, officials, that members were saying, it's our sport, we'll decide who our president is going to be, uh, we're happy with you. They knew the conditions I was going forward under. It was for 12 months to continue the work on reform with this new interim board. What value do you think you'll add to this new FAI board in comparison to the old one? If, if we, you know, for example, moving from the old FAI to the new and, and the fact that you had a foot in the old camp and now you've a foot in the new camp as such? Well, a key element, uh, and I think this is part of the rationale for what was in the report, was there are so many work streams at present going on in the FEI uh, that I've been across um, that putting 12 new people in there, unfamiliar with all of those, was a risk... It clearly stated it was a risk, and that was a risk we didn't want to take. So we subscribe to the view expressed in the report that bringing some corporate knowledge forward, some knowledge of certainly what has been happening since last March, would be of benefit to that new interim board. There were three people from UEFA and FIFA with you guys this week and uh, at the AGM today, and I, I believe they met with, with Shane Ross and, and one of the members of the FEI board last night. What sort of things did they say to you and are, are they happy with how things are going you know, given that these, as Paul just said there, these baby steps are, are starting to take place now? Both FIFA and UEFA approved the Governance Review Group's document, its report. We would have engaged with them the whole way through the preparation of that report. They would have seen it, the draft of it, they've approved it, they've agreed with it. Today they were here to monitor, to watch what we do, how we conducted our AGM. They're always available and helpful. They spoke to the Minister to outline what may be concerns on both of their parts about undue third-party interference. My understanding is they had a constructive meeting with the Minister and any time we're talking, I think that's beneficial and good. So we now know eight members of, of the new board, yourself and Paul, Martin Hegarty and Dick Shakespeare, John Finnegan, Dave Moran, John Early and Joe O'Brien. So that, that's eight and there's still four to be appointed and these are all going to be independent people. What is the timeline on that and you were asked inside the fact that there are currently no women on the eight do you expect any on, on the four and there's a two year time period where you have to have 33% of, of the board made up of, of women? We get the work straight away I think on Tuesday we'll be meeting with an agency, an external agency which is going to help us to deliver the independence. We're going to draft or draw up, uh, we, we will communicate through the media looking for expressions of interest again dealt with by an external organisation I would like to think we'll bring together anything up to 15 or 20 CVs. We will look at the eight football members and see what skills do we need to complement them. That will bring four forward. Obviously, we'll have to give serious consideration now to gender, as the eight that have come forward are eight males. So that's a matter we'll have to consider seriously. And you correctly say, when this interim board is over and another board is established, it's only got one year to fulfil that obligation of one-third membership being female. So you'll be the president for this year and at the AGM at this time next year, if not before you're given a guarantee that you will step down? I'm stepping down at AGM next year. Last two questions, Donald. Noel Mooney spoke very impressively at the AGM today and you know he's, he's you know done a lot of interviews and stuff over the last couple of weeks and months. He's due to, to stay for another couple of months. Would you see a role for, for Noel in the FAI moving forward as Chief Executive or in any other role or will he definitely go back to UEFA? Well, Noel Mooney has a very important job in UEFA. He has a very important role, Head of Business Development at UEFA. Noel Mooney is making a real contribution to the FAI. Um, we will, in due course, 
the new board, the interim board, will start the process for the recruitment of a CEO. That will be a rigorous competition to make sure that we get the best person, man or woman, for that job. It's going to be an important job going forward. Noel is involved in football administration for a long time. So I suppose in many ways it's to Noel. In due course, does he want to return to UEFA? He is going back to UEFA. It's only a six-month secondment. Noel will have to make choices then. Um, They will happily take him back to UEFA. He's going back to a very significant role. He has the option of applying for the new CEO position if he so wishes. One other person who had a key role today is Rhea Walsh. Who is she still the COO or is she still the acting CEO? I'm not sure of exact title, but she was there to, to help you with any of the, the questions you had in terms of, of the votes and stuff. What will what role will Rhea have moving forward and could she be someone who 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 you know uh, contests to go on the board? Rhea took over at short notice the position of interim CEO. Then we realigned responsibilities at the top of the senior executive team because there was a huge demand for somebody to take charge of reform. And as you would have seen today, she was an absolutely fundamentally important resource there today. She would have done so much negotiation on this with our legal advisors. So I would have relied very heavily on Rhea Walsh there today. So it's really the division of labour. Rhea is the COO of the FAI. Uh, But... She is responsible for this ongoing reform process and reform programme, hence the very key role she played uh, at today's AGM. Yeah, certainly there was so much more going on with the AGM today than, than maybe I expected. Lastly, the World Cup for 2030 could be hosted you know, in part in Ireland along with our friends up north in England, Scotland and Wales. That's something that's you know, obviously you know, a long period away now. What's the latest on that and the hopes for this new FAI in, in, in 12, 11 years' time to be hosting World Cup games in Dublin and in Ireland? Well, that's a process that's ongoing. There's, we're in the business of preparing a bid. We're inquiring. We're... we're at a, a preliminary stage, but notwithstanding that, quite an amount of work has been done. So certainly in 2020, we're getting to a serious decision that we're in a bid, we're in a bid with the other home nations, uh, and that bid, first of all, will be tested at UEFA level. There may be other bids within UEFA. I think the sense would be if we were going to bid, there would be one bid emanating from UEFA. That would have 55 votes to start with behind it of the 200 on members of FIFA. So it's a work in progress. We're part of it. The other home nations are happy with that. And decision time, final decision time is a little bit away. And lastly, on the football, Donald, are you hopeful that the focus switches back now to Mick McCarthy's team, Stephen Kenny's team? There's going to be a new women's national team manager, I understand, this week. The 19s is so well in the Euros. We hosted the 17s Euros. There's lots of, of great stuff going on. The video you guys showed at the Festival of Football in, in Mead was fantastic and all the kids smiling and, and playing football. And, and, and the FAI is the Football Association of Ireland. And, uh, are you hopeful now just for, for the football to continue and, and hopefully to get better and better? Absolutely. The under-17, we hosted the under-17 European Championship Finals. And UEFA were extremely happy with the manner in which we delivered that. As you said, our under-17s remained unbeaten in that group, in the group itself. The 19s get to a semi-final of the European Championships. We topped the group for the senior men. They topped the group. Senior women starting a qualifying campaign under a new manager uh, only a few short months away. Yes, of course, we want the focus to be on that. But that's at elite level. What this week was about was the underage level the amateur adult, the amateur uh, adult female and male, all of that, the volunteers, the 
huge amount of work that's done in clubs all over this county of Meath. It was to meet them, encourage them, endorse what they do, thank them for what they do, and give them a bit of a lift as they gave us, as just a real footprint for football in this county. Yeah, interviews there with the new FAI Vice President Paul Cook and before him the re-elected FAI President Donald Conway. Fixtures this weekend in the Premier Division. Firstly, we're going to bring you the three games taking place on Friday. It's Cork City against St. Pat's. That game is down there in Turners Cross live on Air Sport. At the same time, UCDV Derry and Finn Harps against Bowes is at 8 in Finn Park. Shamrock Rovers Waterford and Sligo Rovers Dundalk both off due to those clubs' involvement in the Champions League and Europa League qualifiers. And in the first division, the title's getting closer for Shelburne and they'll have to wait till Saturday to play. They play Cove on Saturday in Coleman's Park at 7 o'clock. The other four games all take place at 7.45 on Friday. It's at Lone Town v Longford Town, Cabin TD v Limerick, Galway United v Drawdy United and Wexford versus Bray Wanderers. And the best look as well to Sean McLaughlin and also to Trevor Clark on their moves to the UK and it's great stuff that more League of Ireland players are, are on the move we hope to speak to both of those on next week's episode but until then enjoy the games best of luck to the Dundalk and Rovers in Europe and we'll chat to you soon see you folks thank you bye bye the best League of Ireland podcast in the business this is Off The Ball